Welcome to Fly on the Wall Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Songson, CEO and founder of Church Boom. Here you get to sit in on a live coaching session as I coach pastors through the ministry challenges we all face. If you find this podcast helpful, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. We're talking with my good friend, Pastor Phil. He's a pastor on the East Coast, and uh, he's a great guy, got a great church. And today we're talking about the subject of pastors and money, personal compensation, how to manage the money appropriately, how to make sure to have integrity with stewardship. How do you help compensate the staff in the right ways of doing that? It is a great conversation. Let's dive into it now. Let's jump into it, man. How can I serve you today? Have some questions about pastors and money. Yeah. Oh, hey, there you go. (laughs) There's no one we can talk to about this but you. So, um, (laughs) pastors and money. Because we've done such a great, we've done such a great job over the years, just adding to the kingdom by how we pastors deal with money. So I figured we'd just, (laughs) we'll just jump right on that train. Um, More seriously, uh, just for. For churches with like us, we're a smaller church. We're not thousands. We're a few hundred. There's more than one full-time pastor here. And you know, my question for you is, it's hard for us to find information about how we should be compensating our pastors. And I realize there's, there's what we compensate pastors, which is a dollar amount, and that's not what I'm asking about. It's how we should be compensating pastors on staff. What are the things that we look at to get to that number? And so many different philosophies, and I, I've of all the churches I've been on staff, there were never two that kind of approached it the same way. And we're young enough and new enough, and our board is very forward-thinking, and we're just wanting to always come up with just blessable ways to honor our staff in ways that are filled with integrity, but that are just responsible long-term. So could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. You know, how, for, for churches with more than one full-time pastor on staff, what are some of the best practices for establishing how we compensate yeah. pastors? <clears throat> well, uh, one, I, uh, I do know Vanderbilt puts out stuff all the time, William, and uh, I think his stuff is really spot on and good when it comes to any sort of compensation. Of course, it gets into dollars and all that stuff, but he does a really good job of figuring out uh, what that should look like based on their experience, the title, uh, what they're going to be doing, and then also the location where they live. Um, he does a really good job with that. I think they gather that data, William Vanderblum and Vanderblum and Group. Uh, William's a great friend of, of Church Boom and myself, and and but he just puts out really good stuff. The, the, the part that I'm always careful with, I think he puts out great stuff, number one. The part that you always have to be careful with when it comes to, um, you know, hey, we got this information from Barna's group or this group or that. I think Vanderbilt is always really solid. But we got it from this group, that group, or the other group. Um, just keeping in mind that they probably have surveyed organizations to figure out what the average is in a certain area the the only part where I feel like it can get skewed sometimes, and, and my own personal coach told me this. Dan Riley is my personal coach. He said the reason you have to just be careful with those. Just a little side note is they may be interviewing someone who doesn't have a lot of vision but has a lot of money, and it's the money that attracts their personnel. So we don't have a lot of vision. We're not really a great church. We're not really thriving, but we want a really great worship leader, and we got a lot of money. Uh, and so now you interview them and you find out, oh, their worship leader gets paid X amount. Well, they get paid X amount because that church has got a ton of money. Uh, 
and they don't have a ton of vision. And so they're, they're, they're attractional based on the money. They're not attractional based mm-hmm. on their vision. And so now all of a sudden you're looking at something going, man, I can't afford that. Well, yeah, but who did they interview? You know, and so it does get interesting when geography gets into play because California is a very well-known, expensive place to live. Well, yeah, and one church over there has got, you know, $10 million in the account, and they're bringing money hand over fist. This church over here is broke, and so they're paying them this much money, and it's like that's not even a reality for the rest of the churches around in that city or county or whatever, in any state for that matter. Uh, I do think that's important. The one thing I would say is I, I, I would say I think you always have to include geography. I think you have to include experience. I think you have to include um, uh Geography, experience, kind of the title, the role. I think you also have to be realistic on your budget. What is that percentage you don't want to go over? Uh, hey, we, we don't want to go over 46% of our whatever towards all full burden. And when I say full burden, uh, I mean staff being, let's say church has got six staff members. What's it cost to have those six staff members on the staff? A lot of churches will just look at their compensation. I think it's important to look at full burden. Yeah, like everything, benefits, whatever you got to pay in taxes, everything. And then what is that percentage you don't want to go over? Now, I will say, I'm going to add to this, there's no particular order. I think it's okay to go over if it's a calculated risk with an acceptable loss. Those two things, Phil, I always, those two terms I use a lot. Calculated risk, acceptable loss. So sometimes I've had it, you know, you get up to 20, 40, 60 staff members. Why don't you start growing? And you're like, wow, you got a big old staff. It's like, okay, man, we're about to go over that percentage that we're comfortable with. But we believe these next two hires will do this. And within a year, it should be bringing us back down to that rate. If it doesn't, we got a problem. So it's a calculated risk with an acceptable loss. Like, okay, we think we're going to bleed at $100,000 this year, but... But we know that that's going to be okay because of. So that's called an acceptable loss. Now let me add a third part that you didn't say, (laughs) you didn't ask, but I do think is important. I think there's a way with with a moderate budget to bless pastors. Um, I'll give you an example. There's a church I know in Southern California. They took their, they uh, uh, found a beach. That's just an example. You got to make it to your own. And they found a beach and they were able to rent it out for an entire month. This beach house is a block away from the beach. And they got a really good deal on it because someone knew somebody, that kind of thing. They turned around to their top staff members and said, everybody pick five days. And all they did was rotate those families through every five days. When they showed up, you know, my family would show up. They already knew they had all the toys laid out for my kids. They bought the toys. They had the food laid out. They had everything laid out. And I talked to that pastor. I thought it was a genius idea. I talked to that pastor. I'm like, that was brilliant. And he says, bro, he goes, that was two years ago. They still talk about it today. So it wasn't a way that he goes, I can't go give them all $10,000 a year raises. But I did spend $10,000 that month. But that was cheaper than giving five people $10,000 a month, $10,000 a year raises. So... I think there's creative ways to also bless pastors as well. Again, Vanderbilt, I think he's probably one of the most solid when it comes to salaries. I think there's things you need to consider, but also figure out ways, in my opinion, to be creative. Um, 
there was a, uh, it was interesting. There was a survey done by a thousand CEO, a thousand CEOs and a thousand employees that were randomly selected, you know, thousand CEOs and thousand employees, or I think it was, no, a hundred, hundred CEOs, a thousand employees, something like that. Anyway, they interviewed them and asked the CEOs, what are the top things your employees want? And they had to list them from one to 10. You know, they want to be valued or they want money or they want benefits or they want whatever. Employees, what are the top 10 things you want? Dude, one, two, and three on the employee list was eight, nine, and 10 on the CEO list. And then vice versa like this. Wow. They didn't even get it. Uh, above anything else, they rated uh, a salary. CEOs rated salary as number one. It was actually number seven on the CEO list. Employee list. Number one was they wanted to feel valued. They wanted their voice to matter. I mean, it was unbelievable how other things really mattered. And I think that I think you can do that with the beach house type of scenarios. Stipend people, where you're like, okay, I'm paying that person X amount of dollars a month. I don't know if they're ever going to go part time or full time. I you can run with you can gain so much equity by simply doing the beach house thing. So a stipend person over the years, I've done things like, hey man, we're gonna send you and your family for three days to SeaWorld. We're paying for the every we're paying for the tickets, we're paying for the food, we're paying for everything. Someone says, Oh my gosh, that cost five thousand dollars. Yeah, it did. Five thousand dollars over a year is four hundred dollars a month. I could have given them a thousand dollar a month raise, or I could have paid for something at four hundred a month. It actually saved me money, but they feel more valued. So those are just some I think you gotta get creative on how they feel valued. And I think that, and that's really what I was hoping to hear, even how, how you pay people, how you compensate people, how you honor people is more than it, it is absolutely, like you said, that is absolutely what's in their paycheck at the end of the day. But there's so many other things that there's can a lot of variables. Back. If yeah. it's just a single, you know, silver bullet of the only way we know to honor people is just a raise. Well, some years that's not going to be there. And then that person, <laughs> there's other ways to keep that person's tank full. And that's really helpful. Well, let me add one more thing is, and I've said this on a podcast before a long time ago, but this is a statement that I just think is gold is, uh, and, it, and it goes into that value. Love the people they love and they'll love you. Mm. Man, is that true, bro? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so true. Love the people they love and they'll love you. Do you know, well, and you would know this. Um, the resource that you talked about, and I was on staff at one church that used that. Does it also take into account when they're computing the sal like a salary range for you know experienced position geography? Do they take into account church size and revenue as well within that? Uh, I would say primarily uh, size of church. Okay, uh, I do think revenue plays a role in it on the church side. Okay. I just don't think the employees are going to take that in consideration at all. But sure. the staff is going to, the, the lead pastor is going to take that. Love the people they love too, by the way, is primarily their children. Yeah. So I, I found out, I don't know, three months ago, I remember a staff member, I saw something and I'm like, oh, they're on vacation. I didn't know, you know, uh, and I got a lot, you know, got a lot of different staff uh, in my life, and a lot of different people in my life. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I know they got three kids. So I sent them a little Venmo and I said, hey, I just Venmoed you $250. I said, buy your kids whatever souvenir they want on us. Bro, that was three months ago, and they still still are thanking me for it. And I'm like, it was $250. Yeah. Wasn't that big of a deal. 
but you love the people they love, dude, they'll love you for life. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's what I mean by that. When you're thinking about adding new additional staff members and you, and you already touched on this once, but I just want to make sure I heard you correctly. How does the church know when you're financially ready to take somebody on? Do you need to see that already as part of your annual revenue? It's already there. We're just not touching it. Do you wait till you're at 70% of that 50% of what that looks like? Um, how do you, how do you know when the church is ready for that? Yeah. Uh, the first part of what you talked about, finding that percentage. So, so as the income grows and that 48%, I'm just using that number arbitrarily, right. that 48% now becomes 43%. Now you're like, hey, we're down to 43%. We have, we have room in our budget of X amount of dollars. Now it's time to go. We need to look for someone else. So that, I, I, I encourage, again, that's there's seasons of calculated risk and acceptable loss. There's times, there's moments. But in general, most of the time, you're watching that percentage. Okay. And then you're figuring that out from there. So, hey, we're, we're seem to be at a certain percentage. Now we can, right now, I, we're, there's been a, a, you know, there's been some hires and some things and I'm like, okay, I'm believing over the next 12 months. I, right. I'm literally in that right now, believing in the next 12 months, it's going to turn some stuff around, make things even better and bring that percentage back down. Um, there's times where I think you can do that, but overall you're watching that percentage. You go back to your board and you're like, Hey, we're at 43%. We normally live at 48. That means we have X amount of dollars. Here's where I think we could utilize that for staffing. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, maybe more generally when it comes to pastors and money, what are some of the, I mean, you, you, you're with pastors all the time, you know, pastors that have been in ministry a while, pastors just getting into ministry. What are some of the, we don't have necessarily the best, at least when I talk to people outside of church, there's not a high degree of confidence in how pastors handle money, whether it's their church's money, whether it's their own personal finances. And I think that's an unfortunate broad brush, but what are some maybe just common mistakes or bad habits that you see with as it relates to pastors and money, whether it's just institutionally, whether it's, you know, the, how they're handling and managing the Lord's money, their own finances. And, you know, how can, what are some safeguards we can put up our lives or things that we could work on and do better to maybe just start improving that reputation we have over time? Yeah, man, that's, um, that's a, uh, that's a real question. Uh, because I, we I all think pay a price. we're all paying a price now for that. We all yeah. do. Oh yeah. You know, so people question, uh, it's yeah. funny when you talk, uh, money makes people funny. And, uh, mm-hmm. I've said it recently at a conference where I'm like thinking, and I said this and everybody's like nodding their head. And I said, isn't it funny? Let it be like, you and I are just going to our, you know, I'm going to go to your kid's birthday because my kid and your kid are friends. And so we're at your birthday house or your house, I'm having a birthday party, whatever. And, um, yeah, how things going, Phil? Oh, it's going great. How's business? Oh my gosh. We're up. 18.5%. We we're going to talk about money. If we're if we're just regular guy, you know, we're not in ministry, we're just, you know, you right. got a job, I got a job, I own a business, you own a business, whatever. We're just going to talk about it. No one cares. Somehow, when you get in those four walls of the church, <laughs> nope. <laughs> and here's what happens. And I said it and there was this sort of ooh in the crowd. I said, "Once we get in the four walls, we start assigning motive." Mm. Weird. Outside of the four walls, we assign no motive. Inside the four walls of the church, we assign motive. It's completely unfair, but when there's been bad things in the past, you're living under that shadow. So there's no way of getting around that. Um, You know, I think there's practical things, and then I'll get into uh, some, some other things as well. I think the practical thing is I think the pastor shouldn't be touching the money. 
number one, ever. Counting it, touching it, whatever. These got to have safeguards and accountabilities. It seems that more and more pastors are creating um, fictitious, I guess, or these boards that meet twice a year and they're their four friends from somewhere in the nation. Hmm. Uh, and I, I don't have a problem with... I have no problem with that at all. I, I, matter of fact, I like I like the idea of I don't think they have to be from your church. I don't think board members have to be from your church. I don't think that they have to be. I don't think so. I think they could just be. I'm, I sit on boards, but so for instance, I might sit on a board where it's like me and five other guys, and we're not part of the church, but we're we're voices in this man's life. But there's integrity. We look at the dollars. We're we're making sure that he's we're protecting him, but we're trying to help him push the move church forward. So we serve as sort of this board slash advisory. But there's health there. It's it's like okay, hey, dude, you gotta be careful with that. You know, I don't want you to get in trouble with that finances. People might question. You know, there's good guards. There's these other ones that I have sat on where I'm like, they they call me a board member. I'm like, dude, I've never met with you in my in the last five years. So I don't know who's handling that. I I think you got to put some safeguards into place uh, and make sure it's like. You know, uh, and again, I don't care if they're from your church or not. I, I, for me personally, that doesn't matter. Everybody's got their opinion. That's just mine. But either way, there's got to be safeguards. Uh, not touching the money. I also love, these are just practical things. I think that the board should put on the pastor an amount of money he can spend without their permission. Yeah, bigger right. the church, the bigger the money gets, right. you know. You know, uh, uh, you know, it's Friday and your soundboard is having an issue and it's going out and you're a church of a thousand and you got to rent something for two thousand dollars for the weekend. You rent it. You don't sit there and have a board meeting over it. But there needs to be a certain cap. I think that's I think keeping your hands off the money, setting a certain cap, having people of integrity that are going to be helping you watch that money, whether that's inside or outside the church doesn't personally is not a deal to me. Everybody has their opinion on that. That's just mine. Either way, there's accountability. I don't care how you get it; just get it. Um, I think I think if you can find someone that wouldn't charge you a fortune, but would do a soft audit once a year, I think we that's awesome. There's a, yeah, there's a well, there's two at least in Maryland. So there's a when you say soft audit here in this state, the words <clears> are <throat> certified financial review, mm-hmm. which is a tier below a certified financial audit and a fraction of the price. Yeah, you know, there you go. And we include that in our annual business <clears throat> report of all of their findings and whatnot. That's so great to stand up and be able to say, yeah, we, uh, we, we pay to get audited every year. Cause I don't want anybody ever questioning me. Right. I love that statement. And most of the time they're like, that's great. Now let's go into, I, I, so those are all safeguards. Um, I think they make, Bad decisions when there's not accountability. Bad decisions when they're touching the money. Bad decisions when there's a free for all. Um, I, I think that you got to be careful with that. Uh, I think yeah. that that's a that's the place, man. It is one of the top two or three places where we get hurt the most. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's ranking in the top three for sure. The other thing is now. Let me flip to the other side. Okay. There are pastors that I think that I see that the way they handle their financial life. And the finances of the church, it's not a lack of accountability, maybe ish, or even integrity. They're just not handling it wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'll, I, I mean, how, how many, how many churches in America 
you know, now we're both the same God, but it doesn't matter. Go Baptist, doesn't matter. I don't really care about that. There's a pastor that's, you know, approaching a certain age, probably should hand the church off, but can't afford to do it. Okay. Now, where what's happened in the last 30 years of his financial life that led mm-hmm. him to this point? Sure. So I see guys that are not making wise decisions financially in their personal life. I think it also shows up in the life of the church in how they're operating their money, dealing with their money. They're not looking at it structured. You're you're a spreadsheet type of guy, dude. I've known you for quite a while now. You're a spreadsheet guy. I don't think that's ever going to be an issue for me. But overall, I watch guys that I think, man, dude, you. I watch guys take on big debt. Yeah, my wife needed a car, and you know this is a good one. It's six hundred fifty a month, and mine's eight hundred a month. We pay fifteen hundred dollars in cars. And it's like, uh, you know, I mean, I just think like, wow, dude, be more careful. Like, can you pay cash for that? Can you figure out a way? Like, just some good Dave Ramsey practical kind of thoughts of in the pastor's life. Um, I, I, I would, I'd love to see that get improved. I think we should lead the way. I don't think in how much we make. I mean, we're not making millions. Most of us aren't. And, uh, but how we manage our personal finances how we manage our kids' scholarships or college educations, how we manage the church money. I just think we there's just, I think we gotta do better overall with that. And I think we should lead the way. I I I think it's my opinion is, man, when you stand up as a pastor and you're living check to check, got some serious debt, and then you're standing up there talking about stewardship with finances, like there's a there's a there's a misconnect. There's a disconnect there, yeah. uh, in my opinion. So I, I just think that good, sound stewardship needs to happen across the board in pastors' lives, from their personal to the ministry. Do you think that pastors struggle as much with material contentment as people who aren't pastors, and that sometimes that? that influences the way that we're managing our money personally. In other words, we're we're borrowing and taking on debt, maybe foolishly or unwisely, but it's also because in our own heart, there's a pers- there is a material desire <clears throat> that to have houses, cars, watches, maybe even above and beyond what we should be content for, for the career that the Lord has chosen for us. Do you see that? Or do you think that might, that might just be something? Oh, no, I do. I don't, I wouldn't say it's as heavy as just the poor stewardship, but yeah, I definitely do. I see where I, 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 um, my good friend, Jackie Allen, you you met him. He's, uh, he was there. Yeah. So, um, uh, big fan of church boom and rescuing churches and all that. And he, I remember him, uh, we did a roundtable, a church boom roundtable somewhere, and he was one of the speakers. And, uh, and I don't remember exactly what he said, but basically he said, you got to come to the fact that you're not going to make as much as other people in your church. Uh, he said, my son owns a private plane uh, company. His son owns a private plane company. So people of wealth will you know, buy 100 hours of their plane. You know, you know how that works. You know, yeah. you know how you buy a hundred hours of a plane if you got money. You know, you, so you don't own the private jet, but you kind of own it with twelve other people. It's like a timeshare on a jet. Sure. He owns one of those companies. Very, and he's got some. I mean, I know the company, and his son has done very well. He's in his probably, I think, early forties. It's done very well. 
He says in front of everybody, when my son goes to sell this company, he'll be done for the rest of his life financially. Mm-hmm. He's set. He goes, I took a church, built it from here to here, added all these campuses. We have millions of dollars in asset. I'll get a gold watch or I'll get, you know, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get paid for two or three years or maybe I'll get, but I'm not going to cash in no. like my son in the probably, you know, I don't know, eight, 10, 12, 14 million. I'm not going to cash in. And I, and he says, I have to be okay with that because if I live in that constant wrestling with it, then I'm always going to be frustrated and feel like I'm being cheated. Yep. And so, yeah, I do think people wrestle with it. And I think it's, I think it's legitimate and it's, you know, it's human to wrestle with it, but, but you're going to have to wrestle with, you're going to have to manage. It's not a problem to solve. It's a man, it's a tension to manage. You're going to have to manage that tension. So it doesn't, it doesn't eat at you. I, I, in all true honesty, in my late 30s, I, I felt like man, we were killing it at, at, in the ministry, and we were killing it in, in, on every level possible, and I'm surrounded, and I had some pretty fr- good friends with wealth. You know, I have a friend that was 41. That just, I was 38. He was 41. He just sold his business for $65 million. I have another friend that did this. I have another friend that did this. I'm sitting there just thinking, that'll never happen for me. Uh, never. And I wrestled with it. Now it didn't cause me to go buy a bunch of stuff, but I did wrestle with it. Some people will try to buy it and look richer than they really are. But, um, but yeah, I think you got to wrestle that in your own heart and and it's okay. I, 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 you know, I don't put someone down for it, but, but you got to wrestle with that. Agreed. That's a great, great observation though. Uh, and pastors and money and managing it and finances, but I also don't think, because I've sat in many, many board meetings on behalf of another pastor while I'm coaching him, uh, telling him, hey, this dude's been here 25 years. You're not paying him enough. I've literally stuck to the board and said, you guys aren't paying this enough. You're hardly even giving him retirement. He's the first person you start cutting when there's issues. Like, how's this guy going to make it? Uh, and uh, I've done that for many, many pastors because I do think – uh, more often than not, the people that we end up coaching and helping across America, I'm thinking you're underpaid, uh, and and I don't I don't think their board's looking out for them, and I, I I do have a heart to look out for the pastor's personal finances when I feel like they're not being taken care of, and I think the board should look out for that. And by the way, real quick note, since but you didn't ask it, Phil. This is just a bonus. Uh, <laughs> A sign, for anybody listening, including you, assign one board member that is in charge of your compensation personally. What I mean by that is you don't have to bring it up to the board. You're not the one that's got to uncomfortably bring it up. You're the, There's one guy. You don't have to go to the board. The you go worst. to one guy. Huh? I what were you saying? I'm sorry. Are the worst. I just said, those are the worst. Those are the worst. I don't even like, I'd rather just let the sleeping dog lie. Like it's okay. But no, that's wise. Just find one guy. Yeah. So you got one guy, Joe, and he's a great guy and he's on your board. He loves you. He wants you to win. And you're Joe, I'll take care of the staff. I'll fight for the staff, but I need you to fight for me. So Once a year, I need you to evaluate, do I get a bonus? Once a year, I need you to evaluate, do my, my, my pay? Once a year, I need you to evaluate my retirement. You bring it to the team. 
And then the team can talk to me. I don't want to have to go to the board anymore. I want to go to one person. So if you can remember that every year, if you don't, then I don't have to go to the board. I can just go to you and say, hey, I'm just reminding you it's the end of the year and we need to evaluate. It's way easier that way. So I'm just telling you, you'll make your life easier assigning one person to you personally. Well, we don't want to come across as self-serving. Or, no, you know, but, but but it's a reality of our lives and you want to have dialogue. Reality. And I think, you know, if, if we can just create a culture where there's healthy dialogue about those types of things, it keeps 100%. People, you know, yeah. It was super helpful, Chris. Thank you so much for speaking in these things. We'll be able to yeah. take some of these and them right away. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool, man. Thanks for being on today. Uh, Phil, I do appreciate it, man. I appreciate you, man. All right. Thanks, Chris. Have a good day, buddy. Thank you for tuning in to the Fly on the Wall podcast. We hope today's episode provided you with some practical steps to lead your church to the next level. If you found this episode helpful, take a moment to leave us a review and share it with others. Remember, when the pastor grows, the church grows, and we grow pastors. We love you. We're your raving fans, and we are cheering you on. See you next week.